Welcome to the Trial Talks Podcast, a thought-provoking series surrounding clinical trial research. We'll be exploring current and future trends of the ever-changing clinical trial landscape as we discuss a variety of topics including virtual trials, patient centricity, novel and unique research, pandemic impact, and more. Join us and our expert guests on a journey through the evolution of clinical trials. Hello, and welcome to Trial Talks. I'm your host, Christina Hughes, Chief Operating Officer at Medrio, and I am joined today by Sheila Aird, Senior Director of Data Operations with Faystar. On our podcast today, we'll be discussing unique ways to visualize clinical trial data and how the use of Medrio's API has assisted Faystar in building a data visualization tool that reduces risk and allows complete study oversight. I'll let my guest tell you more. Welcome, Sheila. It's so great to have you. Hi, Christina. Great to speak to you. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, could you tell me a little bit more about Faystar and about yourself? Okay, so we're a global biometric CRO, and we specialize in data management and data science, statistical consulting, and statistical analysis. Uh, We have offices throughout Europe, USA, Africa, and Asia-specific regions, and uh, we have over 300 employees. Our guiding principle is to provide uh, quality biometric services to the pharmaceutical, biotechnology and medical device industries by offering um, our services tailored to what our sponsors need at each stage of their development process. So a little bit about myself. My background is in pharmacokinetics uh, in the early days, and I've been working in data management and data sciences for over 30 years now. I started off in a a large CRO before setting out um, and setting up a biometric CRO. For the last four years, I've been at Fastar, growing the data operations function here and also leading the strategic adoption of a variety of clinical technologies. And I understand you're doing quite a bit when it comes to data visualization. What can you tell me about that? Okay, so the landscape of clinical trials has changed immensely in the last few years, um, with the, especially with the adoption of digital technologies, which has sort of blurred the lines a little bit between clinical trials and digital health. So we now have um, access to continuous data and large volumes of data. So if you're thinking about heart rates, blood pressures, glucose levels, through the use of sensors and devices, and of course with the advent of uh, wearables that just about everybody seems to have these days, we have access to a huge amount of data. So the historical approach to data processing back in the day was data review using program checks and site review of listings. So that has now had to move on to accommodate uh, a way of evaluating this volume of data, both in terms of safety and efficacy. So, um, and also to be able to run large studies successfully, uh, we need to make sure that we're keeping things on track, that we've got the data when we need it, and we need a suite of metrics and key performance indicators and reports, which are user-friendly to be able to do that. So fortunately, as well as the advent of technologies, various analytical methods have also kept pace, and this has been a 
key um, for us in being able to use artificial intelligence and machine learning strategies and be able to pull them into visualization tools. So uh, the data science team within the company are combining all these approaches to create some routine um, practice and off-the-shelf reports and some more customizable bespoke reports depending on the study itself that uses the data from the studies or the metadata um, of those studies to present reports which are easily comprehensible to the user. So typically you're probably familiar with dashboards, but the ability to be interactive um, in those dashboards so you can drill down into the data and interrogate outliers, which will help um, make the decision-making process better and quicker and allow us to have early interventions. And it really sounds like you all are, are on the cutting edge and, and leading innovation in this space. You touched on this, but I'm wondering if you could do a slightly deeper dive for us, Sheila, and tell our listeners why data visualization is so critical in clinical trials. Okay, so um, I think most of the audience may be familiar with the risk approach that came in with ICH E6R2 a few years back and the impact and need to be able to um, view trial data and therefore make uh, and identify meaningful um, interventions based on what those data trends are showing and detect important exceptions so that that information can be acted on. So um, if we think about visualization tools, the um, the sort of probably one that most people are familiar with is a color-coded system to flag areas of concern. So I think we're all familiar with the red, amber, green light scenario where things that are at risk or not performing as we would um, anticipate um, are flagged as red and things that are going uh, according to plan are flagged as green. So that's an immediate visual representation of data that needs to be acted upon. Obviously, we have to set the parameters for setting those, um, those items to make sure that the data is, is reproducible, reliable, and that the actions that would be taken are appropriate to what the, the data is showing. But there's a, a variety of other visualizations. So you can have progress charts, um, pie charts, frequency charts. So they're a great way of being able to quickly assimilate data and identify performance issues that allows us to act more quickly and on an ongoing basis. And I think um, people who are working now within clinical trials really um, appreciate that upfront um, real-time visualization of the progress of the, of the trials. And if we think about the, the current situation with COVID, where there's been a need to perform central and remote monitoring, Having these visual representations allows that um, work to be carefully targeted and being able to proactively identify um, perhaps monitoring at sites that are at risk and we can work with our clinical teams to target those corrective actions much more quickly. And certainly in a, in a couple of questions, we'll talk to you about, definitely want to get your take on uh, COVID and what you've seen, particularly sure. as we think about remote monitoring. But um, pivoting to a more tactical question, uh, can you um, 
illuminate how you have implemented your data visualization tool? From the start, we had to identify uh, key elements for visualization. We didn't want to overload um, the, the user with so much information that it becomes uh, self-defeating. So our approach was to identify uh, key metrics for those essential important items relative to the study. So as I mentioned earlier, we've, we have a number of standard reports uh, on study progress, and I'm sure uh, people are quite familiar with the, the standard metrics um, such as open and aging queries, ECRF completion, enrolment rates, etc. And then we wanted to look at the ability to actually include other items. So from a risk-based perspective, uh, quality tolerance limit evaluations on adverse event, event rates and protocol deviations. Um, and there's other aspects of the data that we can look at itself. So we've been using uh, chord diagrams to quickly represent uh, duplicate patient information across sites in large phase three studies, which is looking for a potential for misconduct. So pulling these all together and deciding which tools are the, the most important to develop as standard tools and then looking at things that can be developed further as bespoke tools was our starting point. And we managed to home those down to um, around 12 reports that we thought would be useful across the board. The key for this was to be able to have in Medrio, uh, the database, it has all the aspects. We can get access to the audit trail, we can get access to the data itself, the query uh, listings. But the tool for being able to access that um, on a real-time basis was the API. So we've managed to integrate um, our visualization tool via the API to sit on the data so we can have real-time access and look at those um, aspects of the data that we've decided up front in our plan that are going to be key um, to the success of the study and be able to pull those out uh, on an ongoing basis and be able to uh, drill down into the data to investigate outliers, things that aren't happening as we um, predicted and have that true interactivity with the data. And certainly, Sheila, here at Medrio, we're just thrilled that with our partnership with Facestar and how we could help through our API with that innovation and, and development around your visualization tool. So you've just provided an overview of your implementation strategy and how you approach that. And now um, sort of pivoting to the delivery mode, specifically during this time of COVID, how have you been continuing your trials? Okay, so I think it's been a, a challenging time for everybody, um, personally and professionally. Um, we have a, a, a very strong management team here at FASTAR uh, where we've been able to work together to identify the physical and business uh, challenges of the impacts of COVID. Um, so we have, we've been through everything from the, the health and well-being of our own staff to the status of each study, including um, uh, their current status, whether they're setting up or closing out, and any imminent reporting timelines. So we work 
really closely with our sponsors to support them with any modifications that they've been needed in terms of the trials. So um, we have new sponsors coming to us for quick setup of studies um, for a COVID response uh, trial. So we've been able to look at rapid uh, database deployment. Um, obviously, we have a number of years experience with uh, Medrio and we've managed to um, build that relationship so we have our standards in place that we can easily and quickly deploy for these new studies and roll out to the sites um, the, the database for collecting the, the data. On top of that, there's obviously been um, directives from regulatory bodies concerning guidance um, of reporting of data in the CSR for the studies. So we know that a lot of studies um, that were in conduct at the time of, of COVID have suffered from um, delays in some assessments or missing assessments altogether, patients discontinuing or um, having to have alternative assessments, phone contacts, virtual visits. So anything that has deviated from the original plan, we needed to be able to capture so that that could be adequately um, reported in the clinical study report. So uh, we quickly developed um, ECRFs to be able to capture the, the information needed for the COVID interruptions and ability to rapidly design test and deploy these changes within the Medrio database meant that we had the ECRF page available to our clients within days of the, the guidance being issued. So the interactivity and in being able to also look at that data through the API connections and being able to visualise what was happening with the studies and identifying gaps has given us a real um, advantage moving forward and it's something that we were looking at but this has obviously brought it forward um, quicker than I think anybody anticipated. You know we've certainly seen across the board pivoting um, to remote data capture and ensuring that trials can continue. We hear a lot about um, sort of once we come out of the pandemic and what the new normal will look like um, what do you think will change in the way that we look at data and data collection? Uh, I think a lot has happened already. Um, there are over 300,000 consumer-grade healthcare apps out there, and approximately, approximately 100 of them are probably uh, digital therapeutic technologies that can be used in studies. And we've seen an up, a huge uptake in adoption of these since March. Um, whereas it was a talking point back at the beginning of the, the year, it's certainly an actionable point now. So we have everything from telehealth and doctor's appointments to patient-focused ECOA assessments and patient-reported outcomes for, for quality of life. So that um, has really uh, been adopted quite quickly in the last few months and rolled out, and it's a change of attitude to them. These technologies have to be supported um, in terms of processes and rolling out, and but that has happened. So the driver, uh, the need to get those in place has really pushed that forward. So uh, we do need to be mindful of various issues. Data security is obviously an important issue and regulatory requirements. And uh, the re regulators have, 
published various guidelines for, for moving that on. But I think because the technology is so, so much out there now, um, that we have a responsibility to take advantage of that and make sure that the availability of data is being utilised and um, built upon. So um, I would say that just a sort of point to consider, though, that although data is readily available, which is a great thing, it will emphasise to us and in, as an industry as a whole to make sure that those who are using the data um, actually understand it. So I think during COVID, we've all seen um, daily representation of graphs and rates and this, that and the other. And I've been a little bit shocked in, in places where some of the interpretation of that data has left uh, a lot to be desired. So as we move forward with uh, rapid data collection and AI and ML techniques, uh, machine learning techniques, we do need to just make sure that we enhance the critical thinking elements within the clinical trials and ensure that we have quality by design so that we're asking good questions up front and we're crucially making sure that we understand the answers. There's a lot of data out there. And yes, visualisation is, is a great tool to be able to represent that, but we still need um, those skills to be able to understand uh, what's in front of us. Sheila, I couldn't agree more about the data piece. Um, and I think as all of us, as participants in this clinical trial ecosystem, it's our responsibility to be good stewards of the data. And so I love what you said. It's, it's not just about the collection, but it's making sure that we're analyzing it and interpreting it uh, correctly. Um, we owe that, you know, to at the, you know, the patients. So I just, I love that point that you raised. Um, so if you look in your crystal ball five years from now, um, and we won't hold you to this, uh, where do you see the industry heading uh, with regards to how we collect and visualize data? Oh, good question. Um, we, I think there'll probably be a consolidation of essential data collection. We've gone through this growth phase of being able to access lots of data real time all the time. And I think we need to be a little bit more discerning um, about what, what we're using it and how we're using it. So, you know, it's great. We could, we're seeing data from geographical locations coming in all the time, real time. We work with a number of rare disease studies and um, that outreach to patients and populations in, in remoter areas has been great. So, you know, we're not dependent on those who can get access to the recruiting site. But the ability to capture and access all this uh, large data needs to be streamlined. I think it goes back to my questions of having the good questions up front and how we actually approach this data. There is and there will be a further shift to um, much more upfront design of studies, how we're going to um, collect them, what we want to see from them and getting, uh, getting that data in, in real time, will bring down the uh, development time and the access to market times for drugs. So that's a really exciting um, advance that I see happening in the next few years. We're already moving on um, 
with digital therapeutics, which can deliver evidence-based therapeutic interventions to patients based on the, the software programs. So we can, we can prevent and manage um, uh, diseases and conditions. And I think, you know, we're starting to see that now with very simply glucose monitoring systems and patients being able to adapt their behaviour depending on the, the, uh, the feedback from the, the device and the sensor that they're using. And I think that's a really exciting area to move forward to uh, in, in clinical trials. And a large part of that will be visualisation of the data from the patient's point of view. Um, we see a lot of that now and uh, in terms of smartphones and on wearables, being able to track your own progress, but actually to be able to then have a, a therapeutic intervention in that and, and be have, increase that patient engagement and control of their own health will be a huge, huge advantage uh, to us all. It's funny, you know, I've been in the clinical trial space for more than 20 years. And if you'd asked me kind of when I first started that I would be a clinical trial methodologist, um, I would have said no way. But I, I really like what you just said in your in your final response to our last question, in that I think all of us are being called to be clinical trial methodologists as we think about the future around what is the right study design and being adaptive and nimble and flexible. So um, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, it's just, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you, Christina.